Well, it's a privilege to be for you once again. Um, and I just want to, first of all, say uh, uh, thank you for your continual prayers. Uh, I know I continually ask Lahaba Frock to pray for me whenever I teach the Word of God, um, that I may uh, do it uh, correctly, properly divided. And also thank for you, you, those of you who've encouraged me through your emails and your cards. It's just a joy for um, a pastor to hear from the body and just how they've learned or how they've grown or how they're praying um, for us. It's just uh, really uplifts the heart. So I just want to thank uh, those of you who've, who've done that, um, not only this week, but in, in the past. Why don't we uh, pray once again and then we'll go ahead and look, look to the scriptures. Father, we just thank you for your word as um, John prayed, and we just thank you for the word that brings us to salvation, that allows us to understand the great truths of your redemption for um, sinners, God. And we just thank you for our brother Edison and his testimony that really uh, gives a, a first-hand account of how you save sinners and bring them to yourself. This day we ask that you would help us as we seek to understand the scriptural teaching on baptism. That you would help me, Lord, to teach and preach correctly your word of truth. And that you would allow it to be understood with clarity to all the believers here. And that they would really be convicted by the Spirit as the Spirit uses the word to convict their hearts. And we just thank you for this morning that we can worship you through song, through prayer, through fellowship. And we pray, Lord, that this time would be honor, honoring in your sight and that we would continue to worship you throughout this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a, an account of a newspaper article um, datelined Ipswich. England, don't know where that is, but it read, read as follows, and I quote, Mrs. Katie Barrett, 90 years old, will be baptized by total immersion at Bethesda Baptist Church here next Sunday. And this is what she says, and I quote, I've been pondering this step since I was 18, she says, and now I've made up my mind. This lady took 72 years to decide to be baptized. And today I want to address this topic on baptism so none of you will <laughs> reach 90 years old to wait to be baptized. Um, I have to admit that I've never um, heard a message, um, particularly on baptism, from the pulpit. Um, it's, um, it's something that seems necessary, and unless you're a part of a Baptist church or uh, a church that um, practices baptism often, many Christians, I don't think, completely understand the significance and the meaning of baptism, why it's important for every believer. We need to understand what baptism is, is because the scripture, as we've talked about in our prayers, is the word of God, and the scriptures clearly display baptism as a command of our God. It's a matter of Christian obedience, one preacher said. 
And since also, secondly, we're going to have a baptismal service in two weeks, I thought it would be appropriate that the entire body understand, even if you've been baptized before, that when we come together and, and celebrate this ordinance, that all of us, as we see the, the act being performed, that we would understand the true meaning of baptism. And so, praise our holy God. And there may be an opportunity as we see the teaching today to reconsider maybe your understanding of baptism. Maybe you didn't completely understand what baptism is scripturally. Maybe some of you never even considered baptism. You've heard of it, but you've never um, really um, thought it was something interesting or something that you should consider. Maybe someone's gonna, someone here needs to hear a teaching on baptism so that they can consider it. Some may think that it's optional or an addendum. It's like an extra thing that you can do if you want to. Well, hopefully we'll understand if that's the case as well. And whatever your situation is, I think it would be honoring and honoring to his word if we as a body really look to the scriptures and understand truly what Christian baptism is. You know, there's only two ordinances that are given in the scripture. What's an ordinance? Some people call it sacrament. Um, sacraments or ordinances are those things commanded to be practiced by the church in, in a celebratory manner. Um, they convey and symbolize deep truths of the Christian faith and they're significant because there are two um, distinct acts that clearly display the gospel, the foundation of our uh, Christianity. So today, um, we'll look at baptism. The other ordinance, if you're wondering, is the Lord's Supper, which we practice every month. And so we're going to look today at baptism, its importance. We're going to look at its meaning and also its significance. But let's first start for in an in, in introductory manner and look at some possible reasons why a Christian has not been baptized. Some possible reasons why a Christian um, would not or, or has not been baptized. And I borrowed these from John MacArthur. There are five of them here. The first one could be ignorance. Ignorance. It could be, like I said earlier, that a Christian is never taught or it is never explained to them the importance of baptism. I mean, I was baptized pretty early, I think, in my Christian walk, but I don't think I completely understood what I was doing. I understood I had to answer a few questions, yes or no, um, and, and then uh, someone sprinkled, I was in a Presbyterian church, uh, sprinkled me and uh, I went on my way. After that, I don't think I ever, ever even considered baptism um, in the next five, six years really didn't even think about it. Although I heard the Great Commission many, many, many times, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's one of you, or maybe that's um, someone, you're someone who just doesn't know what baptism is or the importance of it. I hope to eliminate that first one today. So at the end, you, you, this is not an option, okay? Second, maybe pride. And I'm talking about spiritual pride here. Maybe uh, you understand what baptism is, and maybe it took you a while to understand that. And maybe you're like this 90-year-old woman, 
and you're kind of, you know, I don't think I'm ready yet, you know, so you're, 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 hope, you're delaying it, and maybe you're a little embarrassed that you've taken, taken so long to, to decide, and, and so you, I'll forget, I'll just push it aside, I don't really need to address that, you kind of put it under the rug. Um, this is maybe um, spiritual pride. Um, you're, you're too prideful to actually do it because you think you're, you're a mature Christian and um, it should have been done a while ago. Third is maybe indifference. Indifference. This is a problem of priorities. Um, someone may say, I just never got around to it. I know it's important, but I'm so busy. Um, I'll do it someday, but, you know, it's not really something that's on, on the top of my list right now. Um, this is kind of indifference. You, just, you know it's important, but you kind of say, well, I'll put it on the back burner for right now. That's the third thing. Fourth could be defiance. And this is more, um, this is more uh, upfront. Or some people may be defiant. They refuse to obey. They're rebellious. Usually this has to do with sin, a pattern of sin in their lives. And if they were to be baptized, this will expose them as a hypocrite before the church, as someone who maybe is um, uh, not living the Christian life. And they don't want to get baptized because they feel as though um, this is like a public stand that I'm taking. And I don't want to, um, you know, do that. And so I'd rather stain my sin and uh, be defiant than obey God. The fifth thing, and this is for Christians, remember, is they're unregenerate. They're not Christians. Okay? Unregenerate. It may be possible that someone thinks they're a Christian, but in fact, they're not. And why do I say this? Um, this may be that a person doesn't want to make a public confession of faith. They're what you call um, closet Christians. Okay? They don't want to really take too much of a stand or really let Christianity be upfront in their life or be public. But they'd rather be on the fringes of the church. They'd rather sit in the back row. They'd rather kind of just stay on the outside and not be involved. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that scripture says there's a possibility you, not, you may not be a Christian because of the, the obedience that baptism is uh, referring to in scripture. How it is almost a first step of obedience. So, ignorance, pride, indifference, defiance, or un they're unregenerate. They're not Christians. These may be some. They're probably more. These are some possible reasons why a Christian is neglecting to be baptized. But you may be thinking, why all the fuss? Why are you making such a big deal about this baptism thing? I mean, it doesn't give me salvation, right? I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Why, why do I have to get baptized? Well, that's the next thing I want to look at in your outline. Why should a Christian be baptized? Why should a Christian be baptized? And I'm going to go over a couple things here. It's a tragedy that some Christians today, some evangelical Christians, do not hold to the commands of Scripture. They do not hold to the authority of God's Word. But I think it's safe to say that most of us here understand the authority of Scripture. And let me tell you that baptism, or the command to be baptized, is one of the clearest, not obscure whatsoever, one of the clearest commands 
of Scripture. Um, so that's the first thing. It's commanded by Christ. Commanded by Christ. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The practice of baptism has its origins from the command, the very words of Christ. This is Christ speaking, remember. You are to go and make disciples. You're also to go and teach. And you're also to go and baptize. That is a part of uh, the Great Commission. And we know that this is not just for the disciples during that time. Because verse 20, what does it say? And lo, I will be with you always. To what? The end of the age. Okay? Meaning that Christ expects all Christians to the end of the age. When's the end of the age? When Christ comes back and returns to obey this commission. And this, these commands, like I said, include making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So it's a clear command of Scripture. Secondly, it was practiced by the early church. I mean, there's not uh, a clearer practice of the church, I don't think, than baptism. It was practiced by the early church. We can clearly see in the biblical record, especially Acts, which gives us an account, a narrative of the first century church. Um, beginning from the day of Pentecost, thousands came to Christ through Peter's preaching and baptism was immediately practiced and given to those believers. In Acts, when an unbeliever came to Christ and accepted the gospel, they were baptized. Um, I need to give a side note. We must understand clearly that baptism was subordinate to the gospel and belief. But we also want to say that baptism was right there as a response for those true believers. Um, let's look at a few passages in Acts. If you don't believe me now, just, just look at a few passages in Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and this is the account at Pentecost, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. And then go down to verse 41 in that same chapter. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see there, repentance be baptized. Receiving the word, be baptized. Flip over to Acts chapter 8, and this is the preaching of Philip. He preached the news in verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Go to chapter 9. Here is the account of Paul when he, remember he has his eyes covered with scales and he goes to Ananias, Ananias in chapter 9 verse 17 and Ananias says, he lays his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he arose, and what did he do? He was baptized. We go to chapter 10, and here we see another account. Verse 47, 
a question. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Now notice there, they received the Holy Spirit first, and then they were baptized, just as we did, can he? In verse 48, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. And we can go on and on. Verse chapter 16 gives an account of Lydia. Remember that? They were, she responded to the, the, the preaching of Paul. And when she believed, her and her household who believed were baptized. Chapter 18 of Acts as well. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard we're believing in being baptized. You can almost go into every account of people believing they were immediately baptized. So these are just a few examples of the practice of where men and women believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and then they were immediately baptized. So two reasons why Christians should be baptized are both found in Scripture. They're commanded, commanded by God and they are practiced. They're given, um, they're given a, a pattern in the New Testament church. Okay? So those are two reasons. Let's move on to two wrong views of baptism. Two wrong views of baptism. Okay? I need to touch upon these things because these wrong views have come up in church history and they are here now and you may encounter them. The first wrong view is baptismal regeneration. Big word for baptism saves. Um, but the Bible teaches that this is not so. You are not saved through baptism. Groups like the International Church of Christ say you need to be baptized to be saved. Baptized in their church at that. Um, but this is a false doctrine, a wrong teaching. I refer to Acts chapter 10, verse 47, where they, they were talking about they received the Holy Spirit. Isn't it proper for us to be baptized now? So obviously they received the Holy Spirit and salvation first, and then they were baptized. Also verses like Titus 3.5, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration, by what? By the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about water baptism there. It's talking about the salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life when they are saved. 1 Peter 3.21 and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Okay, they say, oh yeah, baptism saves you. You may think, he's right. But here's what, how Peter clarifies that. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of the Holy Spirit. It's not as though you go, it's the water that saves, but it's how um, the Holy Spirit, um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saves a person. In Ephesians 2.8.9 we know it's by grace that we've been saved um, through faith, not of ourselves, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. So baptismal regeneration is to be rejected because salvation is the work of God alone and uh, only God can save 
Apart from God's grace, apart, no one could be saved. Um, it's not based on any type of work. Some argue that many of the Acts passages that I refer to talk about repentance and baptism, and then they say they're so close together, they're both salvation, right? But with an understanding that only God saves through grace, we can understand that baptism is, doesn't save you, but it's actually the first evidence, the first fruit of genuine salvation, genuine repentance, because obedience, lordship, demonstrates faith. Obedience to the commands. Let me illustrate this. If you were a Jew and you were listening to Peter preach on the day of Pentecost, um, you were going to be baptized, and you were going to go and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were going to be baptized in the name of the one that the Jewish leaders hated most, more than anyone else. You were going to wind up losing your family, your social status, your job, your right to attend the synagogue, everything. You would be immediately in homeless. Immediately, you would be cast away from Judaism. The price was very high. You became a social outcast. But true faith counted the cost, paid the price, and went through baptism. So when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's saying, let's see if your repentance is real. See if you take your stand. This is a public stand saying, I am committing my life to the Lord Jesus Christ from now and forever. So baptism is the immediate and inseparable indicator of our salvation, and it should be that today. We have had a wrong view that baptism is something that occurs over a long period of time. We need to understand that baptism is important. It's an important step in our obedience. That's why anyone who professes to be a believer or a Christian and who joins the, the local church should be required to be baptized. And that's why we do it here at Cornerstone Bible Church. Baptism is required. Why? Because it was a pattern of the New Testament church. If a convert was not willing to be baptized, then there is little confidence that they have truly repented. There is, there is no such thing as an unbaptized church in the scripture. No such thing as unbaptized um, believers. It, it was almost like it was an immediate thing. So baptism was an obedience, and obedience was the fruit of true salvation or true repentance. Okay, so baptismal re regeneration is not an option. Secondly, we, we discount infant baptism. Now, I need to talk about this because we have four new infants who've come. Do we believe in infant baptism or pedo-baptism, um, if you want to say the technical term? This is the belief by some Roman Catholics and also some um, evangelicals in the Reformed or Covenant um, theology. I'm not going to put them together because they're, they're different. The Roman Catholic Church says when an infant is baptized, um, the, the actual act imparts grace to this baby. And so they hold there's a power working of uh, starting a process of regeneration in their, um, in their uh, lives, these infants. 
So it's efficacious. There's, it, it's effectual once a person. So it's actually the act. And they say all sacraments work that way. Okay, they don't have just two. They have many. Okay, um, but these evangelicals who say that we should baptize uh, children have as their presuppositions that um, the promises of the new covenant are granted to children um, through their parents in an objective or formal sense, and then later on it becomes the subjective experience of those children when they grow up. They actually do believe. They will not say that it works like, um, like the, the Roman Catholics say, it's effectual, but they say by baptizing infants, um, we kind of, uh, under the belief of the parents, kind of put them under this path. And then what happens is they have infant baptism, and then later they have this other thing called confirmation, where once they actually believe, they're confirmed into the faith. And there's a lot of a theology that goes, I'm not giving it due justice, I need to do a whole sermon on this to help you understand um, the reform view. It has to do with their transferring of the, the, the task of circumcision to the task of, of baptism in the New Testament. But suffice it to say that it's impossible to find in the Bible the practice of infant baptism by the early church. And in fact, there's much evidence that baptism was given to believers only. Um, repent and be baptized. Can a, can a child, an infant, baby who can't even talk, repent? Or even have thoughts? How do you know a person repents? So that's excluded. Um, we see a consistent pattern of hearing, believing, and being baptized. At Pentecost, they gladly received the word and were baptized. There has to be some receiving of the word, and infants cannot do that. Um, when they were preaching to the Samaritans, Philip preached these things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Nothing of children here in Acts chapter 8. So suffice it to say, infant baptism is not an option. Okay, and I, I just quickly went through that so you will understand that we don't practice it here because we don't think it's biblical. So no baptismal re regeneration and no infant baptism. So all those things to bring us to now the meaning of baptism, the meaning and the mode of baptism. One author says, baptism, and I think this is correct, is a ceremony by which a person is immersed, dunked, or submerged into water. A ceremony by which a person is immersed, dunked, or submerged into water. Let's first look at the word baptism. The, the word baptism. We don't use this word. How many times have you used baptism outside of the Christian church in your daily conversations? I, I guarantee you probably used it none. Why? Because this word baptism is an English transliteralization. That means they try to make an English word out of the Greek word um, and, and define it in the same way. The Greek words are there, bapto and baptizo. Um, bapto is used rather infrequently in the New Testament, only four times, and it literally means to dip, as a dipping a, a piece of cloth in dye. Baptizo 
is a more intensive word, meaning to dip completely, or even it's used to drown, okay? And we also want to know that these New Testament usage of these words are never used in a passive sense. In other words, water was never said to be baptized on somebody, like sprinkling or like pouring. It's always the person being baptized in water. It's not the water being baptized on a person. Okay, it's never used that way in the New Testament. So, bapto or baptizo is immersion or dunking or submerging. It's odd that the English translators chose to, to use baptism rather than immersion. We should, and, and be correct, change every word that says baptism in your New Testament to immersion or immerse if you're using baptize. Because that's the correct understanding of this term, um, baptizo. We see in Matthew chapter 3 that baptism by immersion into water, now we're talking about water now, is, is clearly the pattern of this, this word in the majority of the terms it's used. Matthew chapter 3, we see John the Baptist, Baptist or you can say John the Immerser, um, in verse 6, and we notice that uh, people were coming to him and they were being immersed in the Jordan River or baptized in the Jordan River. John 3.23, it says, uh, John was baptizing in Anan and, and near Salim because there is much water there. And why did he need much water? Because a huge number of people were coming in and he needed to have enough water to dunk them in. Okay, so they need, he needed a big um, body of water. Acts chapter 8, we remember the Ethiopian eunuch, um, they're walking along and he said, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So they went, in, it says in verse 38, they both went down into the water and were baptized. So clearly in the New Testament, immersion is the correct way, or submerging is the correct way of understanding baptism. Okay, so immersion and we discount uh, sprinkling and pouring as the correct ways. But why this particular way? What's the significance of immersion? You don't have to just put all your weight on the words, but the meaning is so important. So let's go there now. The significance of baptism. The significance of water baptism. With an understanding that baptism does not give grace or salvation, we need to understand what baptism symbolizes or what's the significance of baptism. There are two things that really baptism, baptism reflects. Two main things, there may be others, but two main things I want to touch on here that give visual identity to the believer. Visual identification. Um, and the first one is identification with Christ. Identification with Christ. Now remember, baptism doesn't save. But, that being said, baptism is a reflection of the meaning of the gospel and the salvation that it brings. Earlier we read, John read, Romans chapter 6. Now this chapter is not specifically talking about water baptism, okay, but it's talking about spiritual baptism. 
that happens at salvation. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Or do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Up to this point, we've been talking about water baptism. And I've, but also there is baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism into Christ, or what we call spiritual baptism. Now this is the inward, unseen work of the Holy Spirit that occurs at the moment of salvation, at the moment of belief, at the moment of faith. And it really reflects um, the spiritual union with Christ at salvation. And that's what Romans 6 is talking about. Um, being baptized into his death, being baptized into Christ Jesus. We've been buried with him or buried with him. It portrays the spiritual union the believer has with Christ Jesus. Let's look at other verses. Galatians 3.27 For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. How will we use it here? For all of you who were immersed into Christ, right? Have clothed yourself with Christ. So when we, when we become a believer, we are covered or we're immersed in Christ, like clothes cover us. We're succumbed within Christ. And, and the believer, every believer is immersed in Christ. And that is the spiritual reality that um, Paul is trying to point out in here, Galatians 27. He also says in Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism, you are also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with him in baptism is another sense of being united with Christ. The believer is united with Christ. So what does it have to do with water? Water baptism is significant because when you as a believer are baptized by immersion into water, you are demonstrating, you are portraying, you are reflecting this inward, this spiritual reality that happened to you when you were saved. See that? It, it gives a, a, a picture, it gives an object lesson of this inward reality that has happened when you were saved. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the spiritual reality. When we go into the water and we are baptized, it's pointing to that. It's pointed, see, look at this great salvation that has occurred in my life. And it's allowing all who see to understand this great truth. The believer is united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. We are crucified with him. And the miracle of salvation is that God puts us in Christ. And that's what the Bible says, the reality of um, this uh, salvation work in a water baptism symbolizes that reality. I asked Derek, uh, the, or Derek came up to me and he asked, hey, can I be baptized? And I'm all, do you know what baptism is? You know, do you know what it means? 
And he said, yeah, I do. And I go, well, tell me. And he said, I'm paraphrasing here, um, well, when we enter into the water, we're a sinner. And when we go under the water and we come out, we are a new creation. Um, and that's true. That's what it's symbolizing. Derek was right. Bob taught him well. That's right. When Christians go into the water, um, he or she is symbolizing the death of Christ for sin. And when he emerges from the water, he is signifying Christ's rising from the dead. Wayne Grudem puts it very well, and I quote, When the candidate for baptism goes down into the water, it is a picture of going down into the grave and being buried. Coming up out of the water then, a picture of being raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Baptism thus very clearly pictures death to one's old way of life and rising to a new kind of life in Christ Jesus. So you understand why this it's important for us to do this early and immediately? Because it really gives us, here's the beginning of my new life. And I'm showing everybody and I'm reflecting Christ to, to the church that this is what's happening. Um, this is what has occurred in my life. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Sprinkling and immersion, I mean sprinkling and, and pouring do not display this glorious truth. And that's why immersion is the way because without immersion there is none of that symbolism. It's more of a just washing of sins or something like that. It doesn't give the deep truth that it's supposed to. And that's why Baptism is by immersion. But secondly, there's also a, 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 an implication of identification with the church. Identification with the church. Now, if one is identified with Christ, and Christ is the head of the church, then at the same time, she's united with the body, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For, as, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, so they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Ephesians 2, 5. Paul also speaks there of all believers um, in Christ being, in, being made into one new man. The picture of the body. And since water baptism is symbolic of the inward reality of a believer's identification with Christ, so it was the normal initiatory rite into the visible body, the church. It was in baptism that new converts of Christianity were identified outwardly with a fellowship of believers, Acts chapter 2. Not only is there a dying to the old way of life and beginning a new life in Christ individually, but baptism also signifies a transition from before I was united with the world and its ways, but now I'm united with the community of believers, the church. See that? Baptism is where the believer takes his stand with his fellow believers in saying we are going to live and we are going to um, be disciples of Christ. And that's a part of what baptism does. And that's why it's important for all of us to be there, if we can, at the baptismal service. It's not just for the individual, but it's for the church. Because they are saying, we, I'm uniting myself with all you. 
And we are saying, welcome into our community. And that's what baptism also signifies um, in an outward way. Of course, we are spiritually always in one body, but outwardly there's a symbolic meaning when water baptism occurs. It's a sign of a person's commitment to the church and entering the full life of the community of believers. So we see that this commitment is necessary and we also see what we talked about earlier that infant baptism fails in this matter because a, a child can't commit to the church or take a stand. Um, there is no belief there. Um, baptism understood apart from a commitment of faith is, is not true baptism because baptism is really for believers only. So the two things let's summarize that baptism reveals or symbolizes first our identity with Christ and what a glorious picture and I hope you all remember um, this glorious picture when we go to the Shins residence to that pool there and see these uh, Christians walking in the water, or not walking on the water, but walking <laughs> into the water and um, being baptized. It, 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 it's a glorious truth and we should praise God and worship God for it. Secondly, it's our identity with the church. It's our induction um, to the body, the community of believers. Identity with the church. Now earlier, in application, um, I, I noted when we started there are five possible reasons why a person would not be baptized or has not been baptized. First one is gone. Ignorance. Hopefully now you know what baptism is. Number one is gone. But those other four remain. If you haven't um, if you've never been baptized, so this is the first application. I want to give you a few applications. If you've never been baptized and you profess to be a Christian, you need to get baptized as soon as possible. Why? Because it's a matter of obedience. Um, and there may be some reason why that you haven't been baptized. Um, but it really, as we've talked about, reflects a glorious truth. It's not really about you, in a sense, but it's really about Christ and the gospel being glorified through your life. And so, if there's anything, spiritual pride I said earlier, or indifference, or defiance, any of these things that are causing you not to be baptized, then I would urge you to... Um, repent of those things and obey um, the commands of Scripture. It's a matter of obedience. James said in the beginning as he started our service, um, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments, right? Luke 6.46 says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Um, it's a matter of obedience. It's a command of God. Secondly, I want to give another application. If we have been, if you have been baptized by sprinkling or pouring, um, according to the biblical standard, uh, that's not really baptism. It isn't. 
Now, I may be taking a, too hard of a stance here, but if you want to call baptism, baptism, then we need to be doing it right. And there's no um, going around or kind of making compromises here or there. There, there needs to be some accordance to the scriptures. If you're going to sprinkle and pour, call it something else. That's not the baptism of scripture. Of course, this has been debated hotly throughout the centuries, but it seems clear immersion really gives the fullness of the meaning. You know what? I'm going to tell you, I was rebaptized. I was sprinkled, as I said earlier, and when I came to Cornerstone, I was baptized again because I felt that I wasn't baptized properly. And so, for those of you who maybe have been baptized in other churches, um, I would urge you, okay, to be baptized properly because, again, this gives glory to God as it properly should. Um, again, I may be taking a little hard stance on this, but this is what it seems to be true. Third, um, for those of us um, who have been baptized and we have been immersed and we have gone through this glorious uh, ceremony of truth, um, we need to be reminded and we need to recognize the great uh, symbolism and we need to be participating. We may not be baptized, um, candidates, baptismal candidates, but we need to be participating. Why? Because it reminds us, just as the Lord's Supper reminds us of the Lord's death on the cross for us, and so also baptism reminds us of our great salvation, the casting away of the old life and being uh, thrust into the new life in Christ Jesus and how we've died with him and we've been raised with him. And so it's just a wonderful truth, and I'm, it's, I'm excited. And after my study, I'm even more excited for baptismal service because um, just more understanding helps you more glorify God through the actual um, participation. So, in conclusion, baptism is a glorious ordinance of the church. It was commanded by Christ. It was practiced by the church because it displayed the gospel of God before men. And let's never minimize baptism in our church because if we do, then we're minimizing an opportunity to glorify God in His great salvation. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for uh, allowing us this uh, time to study your word and to reflect on the meaning of baptism, it really has pressed us to understand and recall our salvation, O oh God. It's helped us to realize, Lord, from the depths, uh, how you have taken us from the depths of sin and how you have allowed us to rise as new creations to serve you, O oh God. Father, what a glorious truth uh, baptism displays. It, it really gives you glory. Help us to give us opportunity to give you glory through our individual lives and through our corporate lives as a church. We pray that uh, 
those have been, who have been convicted in various ways, that you're, they would uh, heed the conviction of the Spirit and that they would obey. And for those of us who may have just learned uh, more about this truth, Lord, would you help us to worship you ever so more, God? Thank you for your church, for building it, and for making each of us your own children. Pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful servants, that we would uh, continually uh, strive after your great commission, that we would proclaim the gospel, that we would baptize believers, and that we would teach the word of God. That is our commission, and we ask for your grace to do it. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.